My boss is part of this podcast, so I can't give you tips on how to manage up during a change initiative. That said, when you are in charge of change and you lose control of the narrative, your boss might admire you for taking risks, but he or she, well, they're still going to replace you. This show is all about separating hype from fundamental change. I'm Paul Jarley, Dean of the College of Business here at UCF. I've got lots of questions. To get answers, I'm talking to people with interesting insights into the future of business. Have you ever wondered, is this really a thing? On to our show. Hello, I'm Thad Seymour, Interim President of UCF. This podcast was recorded live at Edition Financial as part of a webinar series for their employees. Since Dean Jarley is the featured speaker, and I'm a fan of the podcast, I get to introduce today's topic. You know, in my 30 years in business and during my time at UCF, I've seen a lot of changes carried out at various levels of an organization. I've been involved in my career through multiple corporate acquisitions on both sides, and change management is a huge part of that. What I've learned and believe is that positive change starts with a clear vision and clearly understood objectives. And they can't be championed by one person alone. You need institutional buy-in and execution discipline. And by that, what I mean is unambiguous ownership. It's gotta be very clear in the organization who owns and is accountable for results. Second, uh, you have to build those around outcomes-driven plans, uh, measurable, uh, clear objectives and, and plans. And then finally, all of that depends on collaborative leadership support. Leaders coming together to help each other achieve their objectives. And collectively, I think that's how you get results in times of change. Is change management really a thing? Let's listen in. Well, we're really excited to dive into this topic um, around change management. It's something that I know that you have overseen a lot of in your time at UCF. Um, and. Uh, certainly, we're experiencing a lot of internally right now um, with the name change from CFE yeah. to Edition Financial. Um, so as we think about change and, and how disruptive it can be, why is effective change management so difficult? Well, the short answer is people don't like change. It's uncomfortable for them. But if you drill down into it, I think it comes down to a few things. So if your change is very fundamental, a lot of people came to the organization, they were attracted to it maybe because of a specific mission or set of values or culture that you have. And if they see that change is threatening those things, they can have a very emotional reaction to that. Um, people care deeply about those things and they feel like they fit in an organization and if they think that change threatens their fit with the organization, that can be a pretty traumatic experience for them. Um, secondly, Organizations develop compensation systems and other kinds of reward systems that are in place to encourage the kinds of behaviors and outcomes that they want. And uh, people know whether they're winning or losing under those systems, right? Um, or perhaps they've come to be comfortable with wherever they are kind of in the hierarchy of that system. And if, those, and if the proposed change is gonna threaten that, they get pretty nervous mm -hmm. about that, right? That's their livelihood mm -hmm. at one level, and that can be very disconcerting. Um, 
Another real problem here is generally in a change process, the costs of the change are borne first by people. They're really well known and they're at a minimum irritating <laughs> and at a maximum kind of threatening to their security, right? And the benefits are all about the future. And those are kind of fuzzy, right? And they're kind of unknown. So unless you have a change that's being motivated by something that's really compelling and urgent and threatens like the entire organization, mm -hmm. and it's just gonna force a change, right? People tend to focus on the cost side of the change rather than the benefit side of the change. And I, I think if you're a leader in the organization, the hardest thing I think it is for a leader to do is to get people to see a future they have yet to experience. Mm -hmm. That's really, really difficult for people. Um, and if they don't see that future experience as something that's going to benefit them personally, they're going to resist it. So I like what you said about the, we, we receive the cost of the change before we receive the benefits yep. of the change up front. And so there's that initial reaction um, of seeing what, what this is taking away or how this is going to make my life more difficult or how I'm going to have to adjust, even if ultimately the outcome down the road is really going to be a positive one. I remember we went through that a couple of years ago. We went through a core system conversion and everybody who was here then just let out a collective sigh. Um, but it was a really um, stressful time for a lot of people who had been here for a while mm -hmm. because you're basically taking the core system that everybody operates on day in and day out and changing it up. Right. So your day-to-day -day is changing even though the new system was radically better, mm -hmm. there were a lot of people who were just really hesitant to let that mm -hmm. go. Absolutely. I think that happens a great deal, right? And no leader comes in to announce a change initiative and says, we're going to work less now. <laughs> <laughs> I've yet to hear Kevin Miller say that. Yeah. And that's just not how that works. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, Christina, you, you came in at a time when, you know, Dr., uh, Dean Jolly's talking about how the culture shift changes and how people... Uh, as they come into the organization, maybe attracted to one thing, then that's changing and that seems a little threatening. But you've come into the organization at a time when we were we were already changing. You came in like right at the height of our brand redesign. Um, so what was that like for you? So I started here as CFE, but entrenched in the middle of this rebrand. Yeah. So I'm not only learning about CFE and me, mm -hmm. but then I'm also in the process of Who's addition financial and yeah. what does that mean for us as an organization? Because I'm learning two organizations at the same time. Yeah. But there's so many people, so many team members in our organization that have been here for so many years. So I can't even imagine how that change must have been for them. And I think something that makes it easier is just trust. And, and Kevin Miller is really big mm -hmm. on communication yeah. and communicating and speaking about the change and he wrote so many emails and so many we connects about this and i think mm. that really helps mm. the the growth and understanding of why we did it well that's that's absolutely true right i mean the, the first part of any change process is to explain to people why you're doing it mm -hmm. and honestly you have to explain that to them until you're sick of hearing yourself explain that to them and then you should explain it to them some more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, that's just how, yeah. that, how that is. The why is really important. And, and the deeper the kind of change that you're going to make, 
the more compelling the why needs mm-hmm. to be, right? So, I mean, it's one thing to say we're going to change how we're, we're doing certain things. And, and people might be uncomfortable like that, like with your IT system, right? Mm-hmm. At least they knew that the old system might have been terrible, but they understood the rules of engagement with right. the old system, right? Mm-hmm. And, and now you're changing the rules of engagement, and that's going to cause some friction. But that's a very different thing than coming in this and saying to people, we're not going to be something different than we were before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, Dean Darley, you know, we change can be seen as something disruptive or something scary. So how do we implement successful change? Well, it's a long process, to be quite honest about <laughs> it. Um, and it's one that's fraught with a lot of difficulty. But explaining that need for change is kind of the first step. What's the compelling reason for the change? And sometimes that um, coincides with the leadership change. Frankly, that happens a lot. Um, and it can happen for two different kinds of reasons. Okay. Sometimes a board will identify a need and understand that they need a different leader from the kind of leader that they had before in order to implement that kind of change. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's not uncommon in that situation for that leader to come from the outside. Sometimes they come from the inside, but it's almost certainly the case that the new person is the opposite to the last person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was the opposite of my predecessor, yeah. and I've known Kevin and Joel a little bit, yeah, not the same guy. <laughs> we can all kind of agree. They're just not the same yeah. person. Um, I know I interact with both of them very differently, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you come from the inside, you said something really important a minute or so ago. Um, people kind of know who you are, and there tends to be more of a trust factor associated with that. When you're a leader and you come in from the outside, Nobody trusts you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, in, and it goes, <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was that was my situation, right? So one of the things in that in that situation that you have to do is, is you have to borrow somebody else's trust. Okay. And the way that you do that, um, once you've got your idea for change and why it's important, and you can articulate what that is, you have to get your top leadership team kind of aligned on that. Mm-hmm. So you need to hash out any concerns that you have before you're going to kind of take that public. And if you're coming in from the outside, um, you should do an assessment of who on your leadership team people do trust. Mm -hmm. Because you know what? As soon as you say something, they're going to go run to that person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they'll run to that person because they want to test whether or not they can say something to me. Mm -hmm. Right? As the leader Mm -hmm. in that situation. So if that person isn't on board, that's a real problem, but even more generally, like inconsistency is a killer. I mean, for those of you who are parents, right? How many times does <laughs> yeah. the kid try to split mom and dad? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Right? And you're gonna have that exact same dynamic here. That doesn't mean everybody's gonna agree on every detail. That's not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and you wanna be really careful here because um People have a tendency to tell the leader what they think the leader wants to hear. Mm -hmm. And that's a really bad situation to be in. So you kind of have to have that sweet spot where everybody understands what the goals are Mm -hmm. and the need for change, but can be kind of flexible on how you get there. So how do you build a culture, whether it's within a team, within an organization, where people tell the leader the truth 
instead of what the leader wants to hear. You know, I know you mentioned trust and trust is a, a big component yeah. of that, right? Obviously building before you get to that trust, it's going to be really difficult for people to come up mm -hmm. and be honest with you. But as, as you move through that process as a new leader coming in and, and maybe Christina, you've experienced some of this and you want to weigh in on it or Kirby. Um, but how do we within our teams, move beyond people telling us what we want to hear or what they think we want to hear to really being honest with us and giving us the, the feedback that we need in order to make the team and the organization better. You want to reward honesty, not punish it. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the short answer mm -hmm. to that. Yeah. Um, you can also sometimes identify by talking to your people who's sort of more prone to do that anyway. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> You know, if you can find out who they are, putting them in public forums where they're willing to do that and let others see how you react to that, that's not a bad thing. I like that. So that's kind of the, the, the opposite side of the coming in, borrow someone else's trust, right? Yeah. And then find your most vocal person mm -hmm. and let them be the mouthpiece for the rest of the team that may be too afraid to say anything. But I just had an interesting point come through the chat. It's okay. um, someone asked, but when does that sort of truth telling become where maybe you are detracting from a team or you're mm -hmm. starting to <clears throat> turn into maybe not being a team player. And I did that in sort of air quotes. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think maybe that's a fine line. Well, that will depend on your leader a bit, but I, I guess I would characterize it this way. Um, every organization should have things that are not negotiable. Mm -hmm. If you do not sign on to those things, well, you just shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and those tend to be the values of the organization. Generally yeah. speaking, sometimes there's some key behaviors associated with those values too. Mm -hmm. um, but we can argue all day about how to get there. That, that's mm -hmm. an entirely different matter. Mm -hmm. um, and, that, and that's the line I've always kind of used um, when I'm managing up. <laughs> well, and I think that's a, that's a really important point because you know we've kind of mentioned leaders in this scenario, but we're not talking about maybe leaders of people, but you know everyone. You are a leader of yourself of, of your daily work, and so you know managing up is the term where you know you maybe see a need and you're in using your influence in a way that is maybe outside of the um, what you have jurisdiction over. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, because every organization has key influencers in them. Um, you know, there's two kinds of authority, right? There's formal authority, mm -hmm. and then there's informal authority. And during any change process, it would be a huge mistake not to understand where the sources of informal authority mm -hmm. are and making sure that you're in touch with those, yeah. mm -hmm. in touch with those processes. Yeah. That's really, really key. That was one of those things that I learned the hard way very early on in my career um, was the the value of those informal influencers. And so if you're listening to this today and you're saying, well, you know, I'm not a manager, I'm not a formal leader in the organization. I don't really think, you know, this change management stuff really has a lot to do with me. Really evaluate the role that you have culturally on your team or within your branch, within your department. Uh, a lot of you that have been here for quite a while, we, we've got more than a third of our organization that have been here 10 years or more, several people that have been here 25, 30, 35 years. Think about the role that you play in swaying the opinion of those around you. And if your immediate reaction is to be critical to something, others are looking to you and to see what you're going to do. You may be in, you know, 
not directly influencing and indirectly influencing them on that. And likewise, if you're really passionate and supportive of something, uh, the same is going to be true there. Mm -hmm. So a good, really good example of that, I think, are administrative assistants. Because administrative assistants know everyone. Mm -hmm. Everyone interacts with them. They have really diverse networks. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, they can have a lot of influence on what people think. Oh, yeah. No one gets to Kevin without going through Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> we know that all too Her well. name's Tina in my organization. <laughs> <laughs> so what might make people resistant to this change, you know, or any change? Well, I think, I think there are a few things um, <clears throat> that come to mind. So, and, and these are very closely related, I think. Change generates uncertainty. People hate uncertainty. They really, really hate it. And that uncertainty can come in a, in a few different ways, really. So um, they may be uncertain about their role as their role evolves, and they're not really sure what to do. Um, they may feel that they're ill-equipped for the tasks ahead. And usually in that situation, you know, a combination of training and clear instructors instructions from supervisors is really, really kind of key. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes people have nagging concerns about whether the plan will work or not. Um, if um, they don't see quick results, for example, they might start to doubt the plan. So it's, in, it's really, really important in any change process for the leader to have a few very simple measures that everybody agrees will show where you're winning or losing. They don't have to be perfect measures because no measure is ever perfect. Mm. Okay. And again, this is more of an emotional response than it is an intellectual one. Okay? So if you can find just two or three measures, I wouldn't say more than three, that everybody agrees is an indication of whether you're winning or losing. Mm -hmm. And you can use that data to show people where you are in that process. That's really mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. I think milestones can be really important. You know, to the extent that the leader can say things like, we're going to engage in this process, and when we get to A, then we're going to do B, and when we get done with B, we're going to do C. I'll give you an example. Okay. So when I first came to UCF, I fired a department chair, and I shut down their PhD program. Okay. Those are two of the most disruptive things you can do to a group of people. Mm -hmm. And I brought them all together and I said, we are going to engage in an external search for a chair. We are going to get that done in seven months. When we have that new chair, that new chair is going to sit down with all of you and create a new plan to make your PhD program more effective than it is now. We're going to go out and hire two more senior faculty over that next year. And then we're going to reopen your PhD program. We did every one of those things on schedule and on time. So just laying out mm -hmm. a clear framework for them to know what the expectation was moving forward. And I think what you did there too, was you gave them a little bit of a sense of when normalcy would return. Maybe, right. maybe not in the same way, yeah, right? Because obviously right. there were some things you needed yeah. to change, yeah. but you let them know clearly when they were gonna get back to that world that they were so used mm -hmm. to. So another one. <clears throat> Sometimes a change process requires you to bring in people who are really different than the people that you have. So one of my favorite books of all time is called How Stella Saved the Farm. And How Stella Fa Saved the Farm 
is a book written by two Harvard faculty members as a children's book, right? And it takes you through the innovation and change process. And so um, the farm is run by animals, short story. The farm is run by animals and the longtime owner of the farm is sick and his daughter becomes the head of the farm. And she recognizes pretty early that the farm is in financial trouble. And it has been run by um, a project manager who has uh, been there a very long time and is sort of set in his ways. And so ultimately she asks for suggestions from the employees. And um, Stella is a donkey. And Stella had been in vacation in South America and she met alpacas. And she knew a little something about the luxury fur market. So the um, daughter brings in alpacas. Well, nobody likes the alpacas. They're kind of smelly. They stand in the fields by themselves. No one will eat with them. Long story short, the alpacas saved the farm. Okay. But integrating people who are really different to it, a very different thought process can be really fun. Yeah. And I think going back to your story about Stella Saves the Farm, is the comfort zone. And the comfort zone is such a dangerous place. It's a comfortable place and it's a nurturing place, but it's a dangerous place because if you're in your comfort zone, you're not taking any risks, calculated risks. Yeah. So that's a scary place to be and mm -hmm. that's when change doesn't happen. Yeah. So like in your example, they were in their little comfort zone. They've been doing the same thing for 20 years and then mm -hmm. this person comes in and wants to disrupt it. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard yeah. to get out of that comfort mm -hmm. zone. But what you're talking, but when you once you get out of the comfort zone, that's when the growth occurs. That's when you're stretched and pushed and challenged a little bit. Well, the comfort zone leads to mediocrity. Yeah, exactly. Is essentially, what it does. Right. It's complacency. Right? right. It's just I'm I'm very comfortable in my cocoon here. I think I'll stay a while. Right. But it's a fine line between. Uh, I had a professor that described it as there's really three phases. Right. Either the comfort zone, there's discomfort, and then there's alarm. And you don't want people in alarm, right? Mm -hmm. Or at least not for yeah, very long, right. right? So discomfort is a good place to be because mm -hmm. that, that causes you to stretch some muscles that might have been uh, underused in the past and help you grow and change and evolve. But once you, spend, once you get into alarm, that's when people start to panic. They start to worry about things like, will I continue to have a job? Will I be as good as I was in the past? Will somebody else come in? And, and surpass me or replace me. And, and that's not a place that we want to have people operate within. At no, least I, not agree. For I agree with that. A, a term I like, and it's not mine, I borrowed it from somebody, is um, positive restlessness. That's oh, where you oh, want I love to be. that. Yeah, that's a good one. I love that. And I feel like our, our going back to our members, mm -hmm. they felt just like Kirby was saying, but I like the old CFE. Yeah. Or they thought, oh, they got bought out. Like yep. the new, yep. the new, this addition, what's that? Like, I don't know who that is. I want the, and we actually had to come out and say, same great credit union. Yep. We're the same people. Yep. Same values. We're just a different name. And we've done it three other times. Yeah. And once you, like exactly what you were saying about explain and explain again and explain yep. again, mm -hmm. every time I spoke, I talked to a member online or on Facebook or Will can attest to this, you explain it to them and they're like, oh, you're not abandoning mm -hmm. teachers. Oh, mm -hmm. you're not my, like all these things that they speculated in their head, but you ha we had to explain it again yeah. and again. But that explanation calmed their fears yeah. and brought them to the other side. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's important, like letting people vent and giving them that, yes. that opportunity. Uh, putting people on your couch is one of the things that I spend <laughs> a lot of my time doing. <laughs> We're all counselors, right, in some exactly. capacity, yeah. yeah. Have that's a seat. So Tell me how you're feeling right now. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I agree, and I heard similar stories from the folks in the branches and the contact center. Um, you know, there, there are just some people who are never going to be happy with change, even positive change, no matter how many times you explain it to them. But I think that's a very, very, very small minority of people. And we saw that with this change. Like you were saying, Christina, once we were able to explain it to them and they understood the why and they understood that we weren't taking away any, this is only going to make things better for them. It's only going to improve the number of people that we can serve, how we can serve them, the types of products and services that we can provide. It was a much easier thing, but and I know someone out there will um, will be able to echo this in, in their own experience with their family. My own mother was upset that we changed our name, and I remember I was out to dinner with her a couple of weeks before, and I said, "Yeah, we're getting ready for this big brand change. It's really exciting. We've got a lot going on right now, you know." And uh, she she was like, "Yeah, I don't really like it," and I said, "Well, what don't you like about it?" She goes. I don't know. I just really like CFE. I said, do you know what it even stands for? She had no idea, <laughs> but she knew that she liked it. And, and I heard that, um, you know, bringing this back to UCF with the arena. Yeah. Um, I know there were some yeah. people go, oh, just, you know, efficient financial arena. Ah, you know, I don't like that. We're going to win I, fewer games now. Yeah. Right. But, um, I, I was thinking to myself, you know, I understand not everyone's mm. going to like the name, right? But was it really better than, or was was CFE Arena really any better? You know, uh, at least you know what this stands for, and you know we can we can be proud of that. But it is it's an adjustment period, and and particularly around the name, we talked about how you think about all the big organizations today that people know as household names, and you look and you analyze their names: Walmart, Apple, Google. Starbucks. What do those mean? What are those names? You know, is it is, did someone just Starbucks? That's the that's really the one. That's you know, it's what you make of it. I think. And so to, to going back to your point, it's how we communicate these things. It's it's the influencers. It's the buy-in. It's understanding that the changes are what we make of them. Mm -hmm. And if we go in with that negative mindset. Uh, well, this is only going to hurt me, right? Only seeing those immediate costs and not recognizing the potential long-term benefit. I think we're doing ourselves and our members a disservice. Mm -hmm. I think one place we really missed in our change process going forward, looking back on it, um, and I still don't have this completely worked out, but um, making sure you're incorporating something into your orientation program for new employees is really mm -hmm. important. Um, because they're going to get set into the middle of this, and you might think that um, you know they come kind of baggage free, and in one way that in one way that's true, okay. but they're going to immediately be inserted into a conversation that you haven't prepared them for, mm -hmm. and you might want to think through how you do that. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. We we saw a lot of that, especially during the name changes. People were coming in because we were really hiring them. I thought I applied to CFE. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. We were hiring them. Yeah. We're throwing away their credit cards because yeah. they're like, I don't know who. Yeah, I have no idea, right? I've been hacked. Yeah, I never applied for this card, you know. Like, 
Um, <laughs> yeah, and it was it was interesting because we did have some hiring managers that had preempted the discussion with the folks that they brought on board and said, hey, we're going to be changing our name. This is coming, just FYI. And we had others that didn't. And that was very clear in orientation yes. <laughs> when we would start talking about addition financial and you'd see like two or three confused looks, like sideways glances, like, is, am I in the wrong? It's like going to the wrong class on the first day of school. Am I in the right room right now? Am I in the right place? Uh, and that was yeah. before we changed any of our signage or anything. So mm -hmm. it, it was it was interesting. That's a great point. Um, I think when you look at the all the different educational channels that as organizations we have to reach people and the different ways that we can do that the different times in their employee life cycle that we can do that that new hire orientation is a really critical piece because that's really setting the foundation mm -hmm. for their expectations mm -hmm. moving forward well i think too right because the leadership team and the communications team generally you know you're living and breathing this change process every day Mm -hmm. So it's like the most relevant thing in your life. But for a lot of your people in the field, frankly, that isn't as true. Mm -hmm. And it only becomes salient when they run up against something that's changed that they don't like. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly the light bulb goes on and, and they think, well, why are we doing this? <laughs> right? And as hard as that can be, that's when you need to have the answer for them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the fact that you told them before yeah. doesn't really matter. So are there any common mistakes that we should look to avoid, you know, as leaders or even just as someone trying to influence change? I think so. You know, I, I, I actually think the biggest failure that most organizations have <clears throat> is they don't recognize from the outset that not everything's going to go well. Mm -hmm. okay. um, there's a famous quote attributed to a number of different generals. Patton is one of them, um, who was fond of saying, the battle plan never survives contact with the enemy. You know, Mike Tyson said everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you want to go into it yeah. <laughs> kind of understanding that not everything's going to go well. Um, and I think if you fail, that's sort of three risks in one <laughs> for you. So I, I honestly think it's your biggest risk. So if you go into it, particularly if the leader goes into it thinking that they're a genius and, and have, uh, you know, an ironclad plan that's just going to work well. Honest assessments of progress will not occur. Mm -hmm. They will not. Yeah. Because the leader is essentially telling you, he doesn't really want honest assessments of progress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Things are perfectly fine from the way he sees it. Um, secondly, it's going to lead to a lack of resilience among people. As soon as things get hard, they're going to want to quit. Mm. All right, so, um, and this is related to the third thing. Mm -hmm. You're going to miss opportunities to learn and pivot. And some amount of pivoting always has to occur. Right. Right. So you want to think about those sorts of things up front. Now, you're never going to be able to come up with a document that says, here's all of the ways things can go off the rails. Mm -hmm. right. That'd be great. You, you don't have that? <laughs> <laughs> well, back to my introduction. <laughs> I have 8,500 students, mm -hmm. right? Um, if there are cracks, they're like water. They're going to find those cracks <laughs> wherever they are, right? And so um, 
it isn't that you're going to be able to do all of that up front, but you will reduce the scope of the number of times you're surprised. Mm -hmm. And you can start to think through at least what, what your options are, because the place you're most likely to make the worst decision is when you think you're in that crisis situation because of something you didn't anticipate. Mm -hmm. okay? That's a really bad spot to be in. Um, in those spots, generally, people don't see all of the alternatives that they have in front of them mm. and rarely pick the best ones. Mm. So if you have a good system in place, you know, I think a lot of times people think communication is about the leader standing up and explaining the why over and over again, and that's important. But the other side of communication is making sure that the person up front is actually listening to what people are telling them mm -hmm. as part of that process yeah. mm -hmm. and not dismissing them, but understanding that those are real issues that somehow you got to get out in front of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I found this really great quote that I think would fit well there. It says, I'm not going to tell you it's easy, but I'm going to tell you it's worth it. Mm -hmm. So join me. Mm -hmm. right. And the leader needs to lead by example. Mm -hmm. And I think, if they're transparent and they say, this isn't going to be easy, <clears throat> but together, we're better together. Mm -hmm. Trust me, trust my team, let's do this. Mm -hmm. And I think the culture here, which is so wonderful that I didn't experience in, past, in the past, is that we all fail forward. It's okay. We're going to make mistakes. Let's learn from those mistakes mm -hmm. and then let's move forward. So we don't have those critical ah moments. Mm -hmm that we're not prepared for, but we can mm -hmm. always come back, reflect, and let's keep going. Mm -hmm. That's also scary. Like, I don't like making mistakes. I um, fear almost, oh, like, is crippling to yeah, me. It's paralyzing like, for some Like, failing yeah. is crippling to me. So that's a huge thing to have that trust in an organization. It's like, okay, I'm going to tell a member this. So I hope that what I'm saying, someone's going to back me up mm -hmm. because I'm putting my faith in what they told me. Yeah. Well, and that's why understanding your culture is really important. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are written rules and regulations, but the culture is about how the organization and the people in it really respond to things. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and what's, and what's, yeah, and what's really up. important to them and what's not really important. Yeah. to them. And I remember being at a round table one day um, where someone said, culture eats strategies lunch. That's true. Mm -hmm. okay. um, so, you know, the, the second mistake I think that most people make is they don't understand how the change is going to interact with the culture that they have. Mm -hmm. Not the culture that they want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that, that's a different thing. Um, any experienced leader worries the most about their culture. It's the single most important thing. Yep, absolutely. And I think, though, you know, talking about how our culture will interact, you know, with some of our strategies or things that we have coming down the pipeline, our enterprise board is a great tool for yeah, that. Absolutely. You, that forecasting, that planning of looking at, oh, goodness, here's a big system change coming up within the next quarter. Mm -hmm. How have I prepared my people? Have I been communicating along the way so it's not two weeks before we go live and all of a sudden, hey, everybody, you know, the system we all know and love, well, we're switching in a week, so mm -hmm. get ready. But really, as a leader, looking at that enterprise board and seeing how does how do these projects, how do these 
things that are happening interact with my area and are going to impact my people's day to day and planning for that and, and setting people up for success ahead of time instead of waiting for maybe that one email to say, okay, it's in two weeks or it's in a week. Yeah, I think that's part of any large organization. There's so many things going on that it's easy to get pigeonholed into just thinking about what your next day or week is going to look like and not understanding the broader perspective. And the enterprise board is, is a great way that we um, we try to overcome that through communication. I know that um, our team and, and several other teams have done the same thing, have adopted a version of that where we do a weekly stand-up meeting, you know, 15, 20 minutes every Monday morning, which is just a quick update on all of our projects. So not something long and drawn out and protracted because I know it's difficult to get entire teams together and have them all, you know, you don't want to do a sit down at the table and go around the table for two hours talking about updates, but just a quick 15, 20 minutes so that everybody knows what's going on and is understanding of the other priorities. But you uh, know what that provides is accountability. Well, and that's, you know what, Christina, it's like you read my mind and I wanted to talk to the Dean about that, that lack of accountability. Um, Cause I think we, we see that sometimes within the organization. That is a huge killer to productivity, Absolutely. to trust, to the, the positive culture that uh, I think leaders are trying to build. How do you overcome that lack of accountability uh, at an individual or team level? Well, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to people being willing to make difficult choices when they have to make them. I agree. Those are never fun. <laughs> nope. <laughs> never, ever, yeah, ever, ever Speaking fun. from experience, yeah. Although right. sometimes I will tell you this, though. Um, I have been in situations, I'd say more often than not, um, that you have a person who's underperforming or perhaps doesn't fit. They know that. Mm. Well, I think we're doing a, a disservice. Oh not just to ourselves, but to the team, to the organization, and to that individual to allow them to continue to struggle in an environment that's not right for them. Well, right? yeah, and there's a few steps there too, okay? So um, the first one is fair notice. Sure. And I think it's the most important one. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to be in a situation where someone can come to me who we're terminating and they say to me, I did not know I was having a problem. Absolutely, yeah. Right? And frankly, there have been some situations where that was true, <laughs> right? Um, so regular honest performance evaluations mm -hmm. followed up by things like needs for changes in behavior or training or those sorts of things, right? Mm -hmm. You want, if it's going to get to termination, right? You want that to be the last step in a process where you, you're at least convinced that you've done what you could mm -hmm. to make that person successful. Um, but also, I think you'll find in a change process, particularly the more fundamental it is, some people will opt out. You should expect some turnover. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that, that's going to happen in a process like this. Yeah. And honestly, that's not a bad thing. I mean, you want to understand why that turnover is occurring. Mm -hmm. But if the turnover is this is an organization that's changed mm -hmm. and I'm no longer committed to the goals or values of that organization, yes, then you should move on. Right. Yeah, yeah I always say we spend too much time at work to be miserable. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> right? So if we are, as individuals, are not feeling fulfilled and valued and aligned with where the organization yeah. is going, then... Don't stay. Yeah, incredibly miserable place to be. Yeah, 
Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and, and that's not the kind of place that you want to go. You, no. you, I mean, I know that not everyone's going to look forward to Monday mornings, and, and I'm, I'm realistic about that. Yeah. But at the same time, you shouldn't be dreading it either. You shouldn't be just, oh, I can't, you know, I can't, uh, I can't do it. I can't get out of bed today. I can't go in. It, we need to, I think, be more honest about those types of things because that's a that's a difficult conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Is helping people recognize when this is no longer the right fit, right? Which is after taking all the other steps yeah. that you talked about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, having a deeper understanding, having discussions to understand what's going on, making sure that the communication is clear so that people can make an informed decision um, about what's right for them and for their family and for their their stage in life. Treating everybody like they're an adult sometimes goes along. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. imagine that. Um, I wanted to touch on one other thing that you had up here that I really liked. Um, And I'll admit, I think this is an area, I won't say for the organization, but that certainly I wish I had done a better job with right after the brand change. Um, which was, you know, and Christina and Kirby and, and Valerie, everyone else in the room that was here, um, knows what a tremendous undertaking that was. Um, even just replacing the signage, there were like <laughs> 6,000 signs or something John Thomas told me at one point, um, updating all the materials. Yeah. I mean, it just oh, yeah. just every time it was mentioned, yeah, yeah. a policy, a procedure, mm-hmm. a job aid, a reference, a training course, you know. Um, so there was... And that's just, you know, one piece of it. But everyone within the organization really was stretched during, especially the months immediately leading up to that brand change and immediately following because of the member uh, reaction, right? And one thing that I wish I had done differently was take a little bit more time to celebrate what a tremendous win that was for us and for the organization, um, instead of so quickly moving on to, all right, that's done, on to the next thing, you know, which um, it just, that's kind of the pace that we move at, but it's so important to recognize those things. So I have a chief excitement officer. That's part of her role. Okay. <laughs> and th- those of you who are laughing know who she is. <laughs> uh, but no, I think it's a mistake not to do that. Yeah. You know, and, and again, it doesn't need to be a parade. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm not suggesting that. Yeah. But um, you know, a little appreciation goes a long way. I, I, I think we overlook that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly, I think, early in the change process, highlighting the early adopters and holding them up as role models for the kind of people that, you know, you, you want to have in the organization yeah. um, can really help you out. But I do want to go to the one you skipped over. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and that's the failure to align reward structures with your new imperative. Sure. So the most famous article in human resource management was written by a general. And it was called Rewarding A While Hoping for B. <laughs> okay. And he asked a really simple, two simple questions. How did soldiers get to go home from World War II? Well, the answer was when we won the war. How did, how did soldiers get to go home from Vietnam when they had accumulated enough points to rotate back to the States, mm-hmm. right? Which of those two wars did we win? His <laughs> point being, mm-hmm. in Vietnam, we were hoping for victory, but we rewarded survival. Yeah. And that's what we got. Mm. And that's a very dramatic example, <laughs> yeah, right? I obviously, like but all organizations do this all the time. And so if you're gonna go through a change process, it's really important that you review your reward structures. And I'm just not talking about compensation. There are right. all kinds of reward structures. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. 
and and to ask the question are these still the things that we want to reward are there new things we want to reward yeah and how are we going to do that because your reward structures are the most powerful thing that you have people respond to incentives mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you should think really carefully about what your incentives are because you're going to get them mm -hmm. yeah and and i think a really good point is not just thinking about that as compensation. We so often do. We think of it as, uh, you know, some sort of bonus or, um, you know, sales commission or something mm -hmm. like that. It's not just about the compensation. It can be how we reward people with time off or the flexibility or. Or not even that. Like, what's wrong with a I? One of my favorite things I receive are handwritten letters. Sure. I just want to feel seen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to feel that somebody saw that I did something that bettered the organization, mm -hmm. and. Because I wasn't feeling that way, mm -hmm. I came here. Mm -hmm. So good people you want to stay in your organization will leave if mm -hmm. they do not feel valued Absolutely. or they see other people being rewarded for their bad behavior. Oh, that's the worst. Well, or, or different people want different things. Well, and you can, you can have a job at a lot of places. Yes. Right? Well, you can choose where <clears throat> you get your paycheck. Yep. to put food on your table. Absolutely. There's lots of options. We have to do more than just provide a paycheck for people. And I think understanding where, as a, as a leader, what your team values as individuals is really critical. Even as fellow team members, understanding how the your peers on the team like to be rewarded and recognized because again, it could just be something as simple as saying, hey, thanks, I really appreciate what you did today or a handwritten note or you know, a, a little, I know so many people when you walk around this building um, and, and I know it happens out in the branches as well, have, you know, little trinkets and things that they've collected over the years that they've received from people, received from members that have, you know, from a monetary uh, sense have no value, but from a pride and a respect and, and kind of as a reflection of the things that they've done and accomplished and how they have helped somebody else have immeasurable value that they keep out and displayed that somebody has given them just because it's a reminder that they made a difference to Christina's point, that they were seen, that they were valued and that they were appreciated for what they did. So even understanding that, not just from the leader's perspective, but as an individual on a team and how you might be able to do some of that for those around you. It's impossible to have a shared set of goals and objectives if people don't know and understand each other. Yes. You can pretend that you do. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dean Jarley, so much all. for being here. Thank you, Christina, Valerie, um, and of course, as always, Kirby, it's great to have thank you here. Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> thanks to Edition here. for being such great partners. Ah, thank you. Thank you. A spirit of positive restlessness. Those sound like words to live by. And they sound a lot like my own philosophy of a bias toward action. So, change management, is it really a thing? Absolutely. Now, my experience, as some of our guests have talked about, involve uh, name changes of companies or products. Uh, big IT systems launches is often another opportunity for real change management. Uh, certainly in acquisitions and mergers where I've had a lot of experience, um, change management is crucial in those kinds of experiences. But it's also essential and a big part of leadership change. And that's one of the reasons at UCF we've launched an initiative I call UCF Forward, 
that's, uh, the intent is to provide a collective focus on a set of strategic initiatives over this important transition year that set up UCF ideally for the future as one of the great leading 21st century universities. These are big efforts, and among those are looking at how do we strengthen operations, uh, expand our resources, and investing in excellence, all critical questions to ask, and uh, we have a set of initiatives under each one of those to try to move our organization forward in a year of change. Um, and I think certainly you need champions of change throughout uh, all levels of an organization. It can't be all top-down. It's got to be embraced enthusiastically by um, key leaders and champions in an organization who will help influence and reinforce behavior to help um, make change happen successfully. We've certainly seen this in uh, a recent example at UCF in opening our downtown campus um, that was met with some resistance early on as an idea. But over a couple of years of um, focused effort in developing a broad base of champions among faculty and staff and students, uh, we successfully opened that uh, in August of this year. But it took, uh, it all represented a change. It required um, an entire organization coming together around a clear vision and a clear set of objectives, like we will open on a certain date for the first day of classes, which we successfully achieved. So yes, Paul and podcast listeners, change management really is a thing. But what do you think? Check us out online and share your thoughts at business.ucf.edu slash podcasts. You can also find notes from the show and a full transcript of this episode. Special thanks to Dean Jarley, our producer, Josh Miranda, and the UCF College of Business. And thank you for listening. Until next time, charge on.